Well, hello. God bless you. Welcome back again to the Bible teaching channel of A Love Outreach. My name is Dave Nelson. Today, we are going to continue on in a study that we have been doing through the book of Acts, and we now come to Acts chapter 20. So if you are in a position where you can do so, I encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bible and open it up there to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 20. And just to let you know before we get started here, if you want to hear all of our other teachings on the book of Acts, um, on this go around, this time going through it, um, you can find them on any of the podcast platforms under A Love Outreach, and you can also uh, find them on YouTube. We, don't, we do not have all of our teachings on YouTube. We have over 400 and some teachings in podcast format and audio only format, um, but we do have, oh, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred teachings now that are also in video. So you can find us on um, YouTube and like I said, any of your, your favorite podcast platform, whichever you want to uh, listen to. If you feel so inclined to do so. But yes, so today we come to Acts chapter 20. Now, uh, I won't kind of go back and talk about Acts chapter 19 here, but there was a big uproar that took place in Acts chapter 19 in the city of Ephesus, a big commotion. And uh, I encourage you to go back and read Acts chapter 19 on your own, or like I said, go listen to our study of that. But in verse 1 of Acts chapter 20, it goes on and says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, what I want to encourage you in here and kind of what I like to do myself is I, I like to take a verse-by-verse -verse approach through the Bible when I do my own reading, when I teach as well, to the best of my ability, I'll, I'll go verse by verse. We may co cover a chunk of verses at a time, but um, I really encourage you that when you read the Bible, that you do take your time to go through it. Read the verse, think about it. Ask the Lord what maybe he can speak to you in that verse. As I prepare studies like this, that's what I do. I just rely on the spirit of the Lord to show me what he desires to show me for my own personal life. And then I turn around in cases like this and I'll share the teaching with you, right? What I feel got taught to me. So, but I really encourage you to study the word of God for yourself. So, but in verse one here again, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. So this verse is encouraging in the fact that it shows brotherly love here amongst the believers. Paul was about to go on and continue his working of preaching the gospel here and edifying the churches. And he wanted to say goodbye to his fellow disciples of Jesus that were there in the city of Ephesus. They had all just gone through, like I mentioned, that troubling time, right? A situation that caused the big uproar in the city and they were being persecuted for Jesus' sake, for being followers of Jesus, for proclaiming that Jesus is the king, right? And I'm sure that this hardship had drawn them closer to each other as they, they all had to partake 
in the same persecution here. So it probably, and hardship and persecution has a tendency to do that, right? When we go through difficult times, it'll draw us closer. It should draw us closer in fellowship with one another as Christians, and it'll draw us closer with the Lord as well, right? There is no greater thing, though, than that the disciples of Jesus love one another. The commandment of Jesus to us is that we love one another, as he has loved us. Jesus said, by this will all know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So it's important that we never be afraid to express our love for one another. We never truly know when it really may be the last time that we see each other here on this earth. Life can end abruptly. So be sure to embrace the ones that you love, right? Let them know that you love them. And especially your brothers and sisters that are in Christ Jesus. Again, Jesus said, this is how they will know, right? He said, this is how, or excuse me, by this all will know, he said, that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. Okay, so I I take all of that from what I see there in verse one. Again, just just so much packed within the word of God if you wanna take the time to think on it. As we move on in verse two, Paul in Macedonia here, he says, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, As he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So again, what we are reading about here is that Paul is going about his missionary journey, speaking as many words as he can to encourage the believers in Jesus Christ to stay the course. And isn't it awesome that we still have those same words today? We have words from people like the Apostle Paul, from Jesus, all right here in the pages of our Bible to encourage us to stay the course. That's why I do these type of teachings as well, to come on here and encourage you to stay the course as a believer in Jesus Christ, to press on, come what may. Here, those that wanted to kill Paul were doing all that they could to stay in hot and heavy pursuit of him. But he persistently pressed on toward the mark of his high calling in Jesus Christ. Okay? And and as you think about this scripture, maybe you can think about things in your own life if you're a believer and you're pressing on in the Lord and you're faithful to the Lord as a servant of his. And maybe difficult times come, hardships come, they do. We see it right here in the Bible. We read about it in Acts chapter 19. Persecution comes. They didn't like what the Christians were doing. They didn't like that they were proclaiming Jesus as king. They didn't like that they were disrupting their their sale of idolatry, statues and stuff like that, right? Sometimes religions attack religions. Sometimes religions attack Christians for what they stand for. 
Whatever the case may be, you may find yourself in your life right now being persecuted in one way, shape, or form, going through something very difficult in your life. But the Bible encourages us, the Word of God encourages us to press on, to stay the course, to fight the fight of faith. No one said it would be easy coming to Jesus. The Bible sure doesn't say that. If anyone's told you that, they're not telling you the truth, okay? Verse four, let's read on. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia and Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. So if you don't know this, the author of the book here, the one that's writing this is Luke, okay? And he just goes ahead here and he gives us a list of all those people that were in Paul's group, Paul's posse, if you will, there in verse four, and just how they all awaited, you know, they all waited for him to arrive at Troas. Okay, then Luke continues in verse six and says, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. So look, as you can tell, there is a lot of historical facts that are written in the book of Acts here. And for that matter, in the whole Bible, it is a historical book with historical facts in it, right? But as Luke recorded this journey of Paul's, he did all that he could to make sure that he recorded as many details as possible. Now, if you remember, this book starts out with, with Luke writing it to a man named Theophilus. The interesting thing to me, I just find it so interesting that as Luke wrote this book and he writes it to this man named Theophilus, that the name Theophilus means lover of God. I, I just find that so amazing because today the lovers of God are reading this book. Those that want to follow the Lord, those that want to serve the Lord are reading this book today and learning how we should live and how we should press on toward the mark of our high calling in Christ Jesus. And we're seeing how they were persecuted for doing so. Right? But starting in verse 7 here, Luke is going to give us an interesting little story. Okay, It says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, let me just briefly comment on verse 7 here for a moment. In those days of the early church, as it is now, the first day of the week was Sunday. And here we see that it was on this day that the disciples would gather together in fellowship with one another. And since Paul was leaving the next day, he seemingly had a lot that he wanted to share with the believers in that town. So at this particular gathering, Paul was very long-winded here. But one thing to note, though, when you see the word spoke there in verse 7, let me read it again to you. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued with his message until midnight. So like I said, he's long-winded. But that word spoke there is in the Greek, dialegomai. Dialegomai. 
Now, don't judge me on my pronunciation of the Greek if you're a Greek scholar there, but diolegomai is where we get our English word, and you might hear it in there, dialogue from dialegomai, dialegomai, dialogue. That's where we get our English word from, right? So this can give us the impression here that it wasn't just Paul speaking on this day, right? Like, like I'm doing, I'm just speaking, right? And not hearing anything back from you. But this was more of a dialogue. This was more of a back and forth between the believers. And there were a lot of new believers in, in the room, on this night, right? In that upper room on this night. And there were probably a lot of questions being asked of Paul. He's about to take off. He's about to leave. So this contributed to it being a, a long night of communication in that upper room. Have you ever gotten together with some friends maybe or family and just had some good, deep conversation? And before you know it, you're two, three hours, four hours into that conversation. You know, or maybe a phone call with somebody. I have a good buddy. He and I talk on the phone a lot. And there have been times when our conversation has gone four hours on the phone because we're talking about the things of God. And we're talking about the things of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Lord in our lives. So it's easy to see how this could go on, especially when it's a back and forth, when it's a dialogue. And it's good that when you do gather with fellow Christians, that you do have a dialogue, you know, that you do talk about the things of God because iron sharpens iron and this is how we can grow in the Lord, right? Verse eight continues and says, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Now that's very interesting detail that Luke took the time to write about in verse eight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in, and in verse 9, it says, And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So many have speculated as to why this guy fell asleep. Okay, many Bible commentators and things like that. And some have pointed to the fact that there were many lamps in the room. Now, it's also very easy just to accept the fact that it was a, a long time to be sitting in that meeting for this young man. Maybe he sat by that window in an effort just to get some fresh air to try to keep him awake. But what others have speculated is that with the many lamps being in the room, that there were gases from all those lamps that were escaping through the window, and maybe this caused him to knock out, right? Become sleepy or whatever, right? But we know also that they had eaten food together and they're, they're there for a long time and that food can make you sleepy and such, right? So why Luke gives us the detail on the lamps um, leaves it open for speculating as to whether those lamps affected the boy or not. But what we are about to read is, to me, the most important part of the story. And verse 10 goes on and says, But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Okay, so... Now, I'm going to dig a little deeper here with you in regards to this story. We were told by Luke 
there in verse nine that the boy was dead. Then Paul tells everyone to not fear, don't be afraid, don't be troubled, right? The life is now back in the boy. Yes, he was dead. But when Paul fell upon him and embraced him, he was brought back to life, resurrected from the dead. This, during the time of the apostles, would not have been a very unusual thing to take place. As many signs and wonders were taking place during this time. But we do see a somewhat similar story to this in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings um, chapter 4. And I encourage you just to go read that on your own. I'm not going to read it to you here. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, it's a story where Elisha, the prophet, had stretched himself out on the dead body of a child, and the child came back to life. So both Paul and Elisha were men of faith that were used by God for special purposes. The Lord did perform signs and wonders himself, right, when he physically walked upon the earth. And those that were his servants performed signs and wonders as they walked by faith in the Lord as well. You see, it's not our will that gets done when it comes to miracles, signs, and wonders. These things are not in our control. But miracles, signs, and wonders always bring glory to our Lord God. And they are done, like I said, as He wills and when He wills. We know very well that we all do not get healed of our sicknesses and pains and such. But what matters is the work of God in bringing people to Jesus. And that's what I really want you to focus on right now, is that's what matters. That's what matters throughout the whole Bible, is the work of God in bringing people to salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're reading about as we read through the whole book of Acts here. This life that we now live, even in this present day and age, is all about being reconciled to God. Because there's an eternity that awaits, right? But unfortunately, Christianity has, in many ways, been falsely portrayed as a means to you having your best life, right? Being healthy, being wealthy, you know, never being sick, being rich, and all of that kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that's preached from many pulpits today. And what's, being, what's happening is there's been a great distraction from the real reason for the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. There's been a great distraction from that. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He is not willing that any should perish. That's what it's all about. The early church under the leadership of the apostles was paving the way for the gospel to go into all the world. That's what Paul was doing. That's what they were being persecuted for. Miracles and signs and wonders played a large part, uh, large part excuse me, in the spreading of the gospel in the early church. 
And we don't see a whole lot of that today, but we do see the gifts of the Spirit in action today through the preaching of the gospel and through the teaching of the Word of God, right? Exhortational teachings going forth and people using the gifts of the Spirit to reach out and love to one another. Jesus is Lord, though, is what people need to know and what people need to confess. And this is what we see taking place in the book of Acts. The gospel continues to go forth into all the world then as it does now. But we need to be preaching the gospel, the true gospel. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. Verse 11. Now when he, that is Paul, had come up, had broken bread and eaten, that is he came up from being down there with the boy, right? He came up, broken bread and eaten, and talked for a long while, even till day, daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. So this means they were a whole lot comforted, right? That this boy was alive. Like I said, many wonderful things was taking place in the, in the early church. And it was all being done so that the gospel of the kingdom would go forth. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I encourage you to do all that you can today to fully comprehend the true message of the gospel. Study the word of God for yourself and know the will of the Lord for your life. We are all being made ready for a time in the future when we will ever be with the Lord. But thanks be to God, we are not comfortless and alone here, right? He has given us his spirit. And as the kingdom of God impacts our lives today, we must stay focused to make sure to make it, that is the kingdom of God, our top priority. Jesus said so, right? Seek ye first. That means, that speaks of priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the things of this world should be growing strangely dim, as the old song says. More and more, as you're focused on the kingdom of God, you're focused on eternally, eternity, right? You're storing up treasures in heaven and not here on earth, right? You're growing in the Lord. That should be the case in our lives, right? We have no need to seek the things of this world because the Lord promised that if we would just seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he would add to us all the things that we need. Don't let this world consume you. Be consumed by the kingdom of God instead. We need to be devoted to times of prayer, and to be diligent in our study of the word of God and seeking the Lord on a daily basis. Luke continues in verse 13 and says, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there. And the next day came opposite Chios. 
The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So keep in mind that as you read all this, a lot of time is going by. Takes time to get on these ships, takes time to sail, takes time to go from here to there, from there to there, and all of that, right? There's a lot of time passing here, right? But here we see that Paul, in um, at this particular part of his missionary journey, is now going to take time, as we read in verse 17, to address the elders of the church in Ephesus. And in verse 18 says, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Now, just so you know, in case you don't know, the Asia that Paul's referring to here is not the continent of Asia that we know today. The Asia mentioned in verse 18 here was the Roman province of Asia which made up the Western quarter of what we now know of as modern day Turkey. Okay, so that's what's being referred to here. And this particular Roman province included the coastal regions of Troas and Mysia and Lydia and Caria, you know, Phygeria, and also the capital of Asia was Ephesus, this particular Asia. The capital of it was Ephesus. But that's just a little side note for you there, just so you're not confused when you read Asia there. Paul goes on in verse 19 to remind the elders how he lived his life while he was with them. And, and there's a lot to, for us to glean from this. He says in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. So look, Paul had a lot of hardship that he went through in his service to the Lord, but that's what the Lord called him to, wasn't it? If you remember, we read back in uh, Acts chapter nine, how the Lord Jesus spoke in a vision to a man named Ananias that Paul would be a chosen vessel of the Lord to bear his name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And the Lord told Ananias that he would show Paul how many things he must suffer for my name's sake, Jesus said. So how many of us want Paul's calling today, right? How many of us want to go through that type of thing? But you know, when the Lord is preparing someone for something, oftentimes there is a lot of hardship. When the Lord is using someone for a good work, there's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of trials. There's a lot of despair, a lot of discouragement. That is why we are called, and Paul talked about, we are called to press on. When you think of that word press, just think of, a barbell on your chest. 
with a heavy weight and you've got to press it up off of you and put it back on the rack. Right? That's, how we got it. That's how we go through this life as Christians, especially if you're called to serve the Lord. And there's a stricter judgment for those that are called as teachers. So not many people desire that type of thing, the type of thing that even I do here, right? So Paul suffered, but he walked in humility. And verse 20 tells us that Paul told these elders that he kept back nothing that was helpful, but he said he proclaimed it to you. And he taught you publicly, or how he taught them publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, what? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the key that needs, the key thing, right? That needs to be preached today. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're preaching it, it won't make you popular right? Won't get you many people listening, many people that want to hear it, but people need to hear nothing else and nothing more. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gave his life and his freedom for this message. Look, verse 22, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. So Paul knew from the Holy Spirit what awaited him, but he went on anyway because he knew his calling. And he said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What is the gospel of the grace of God? Well, first and foremost, it's the one and only gospel. The gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that all the disciples preach, and it's best summed up, I believe, in Titus chapter two, verses 11 through, actually, I'm just going to read. If you want to go ahead and turn there, go ahead. I'll give you a moment. Titus chapter two. We're going to talk about what's the gospel of grace that Paul preached. The gospel of the kingdom of God, as he called it, as Jesus called it. It's just one gospel, one message. The grace of God, verse 11. Titus chapter two, verse 11. The grace of God, this is the gospel of grace. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does it do? What does this gospel do? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. This isn't a gospel that teaches you can continue in sin and still be saved. You can teach, you can continue in willful sin repeatedly over and over and over again. No, this gospel, the gospel of grace, this grace that has appeared to all men is teaching you to deny ungodliness, worldly lusts, to live soberly, to live righteously and godly. When? In the future age? In some future kingdom? No, now in this present age. 
And what should you, should you and me be doing? We need to be fixing our eyes on Jesus. Verse 13 says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and do what? Purify for himself his own special people, zealous for what? Good works. This is the gospel of grace. And you know what we're supposed to do? Just what I'm doing right now. Verse 15, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So are you attending a church? Are you attending a fellowship where they're preaching to you like this? And they're rebuking people that are in sin? Or are they coddling that sin and letting people think, well, you're saved by some type of grace that lets you keep on sinning? Paul said, God forbid that we continue in sin, that grace may abound. Don't buy that message, folks. Read the Word of God, study it, know it for yourself. Back now in the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, Paul says, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You know, today it seems that many preachers slash Bible teachers do want to shun the preaching of the full counsel of the word of God, the kingdom of God, the preaching of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Some Bible preachers slash teachers shy away from rebuking through the word of God those that continue in sin. Paul didn't do this. He was a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus and preached the gospel of the kingdom, the same gospel that Jesus preached, and he called everyone to repentance. There was no blood on Paul's hand but there will be blood on the hands of those that fail to preach the true gospel. Those that fail to call people to the good works that we should be zealous for as children of God, followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 28, Paul says, therefore take heed to yourselves. In other words, check yourself, right? Test yourself, Paul said in Corinthians, as to whether you're in the faith. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Think about that. What a responsibility this was for these elders to teach the truth to take heed to themselves, to pay attention to how they were living, to pay attention to how those that they were overseeing were living and make sure that they rebuke them and teach them and instruct them in righteousness. 
And look, Paul says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They don't really care about the people. It says also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves, right? This would be the equivalent today to, to preaching a watered down version of the gospel, trying to grow your church, trying to put people in the seats, trying to give them music that's pleasing to their ears and a good light show and never telling them they need to repent and never bringing them the true gospel, rather just bringing them a gospel that allows them to remain in sin and think that they can still have the expectation of eternal life with the Lord. It's not in the Bible, folks, that type of teaching. And Paul's warning them here, therefore, verse 31, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul was like, diligent about this, man. He was urgent. This was something that he knew needed to be taught. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, just in case somebody's watching this, somebody's listening to this that has not been born again, or maybe you've bought a false doctrine that's not in the scriptures. And again, that's all I'm pointing you to is what's in the scriptures. I wanna ask, have you been sanctified by the blood of Jesus today? Have you repented of your sin? Are you able to endure the sound doctrine of the Bible and to die to yourself, your flesh-led life? and surrender all to Jesus. You see, this is an act of your heart. This is something within you. This comes from within you, your innermost being, being fully committed to walking in righteousness. It's not the easy road for sure. And indeed, it's the road less traveled, the narrow path as Jesus himself called it. But this is what the Bible presents to you and to me. Look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 33. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. That speaks for itself, doesn't it? Have you ever seen any preachers asking for your money? The good news is, is you don't find this in the Bible. You don't find it from true preachers of the true gospel. Most people don't even want to listen to a preacher or a Bible teacher that teaches repentance as a necessary thing. They'd rather heap, you know, heap up for themselves teachers that tickle their ears, that they like what they say, and they'll send them their money as long as they feel they're okay to continue in sin and not have to repent. And as long as they think, well, if I become wealthy, if I become healthy, if it's all about me, I'm all for this. Here's my money, right? But Paul, look what he says in verse 34. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands, 
And you could probably picture Paul here saying, these hands and holding up his hands, these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. He's telling the elders this. Don't collect. It ain't about you collecting from them. You support them. You work with your own hands. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. So he didn't covet no one's money, no one's possessions, but rather he worked to provide for his own needs and for the needs of others. And he quotes Jesus there. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's what he was teaching the elders, the leaders of the church, that which you might call pastors today. Let that sink in. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing, most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Here again, just like it starts out in verse 1, we see it end in verse 38. Just love. Love amongst the brethren. Love in one another. Especially as we saw in verse, or excuse me, chapter 19. They just went through a difficult time of persecution and hardship. And there are things that people go through today, even within the body of Christ, hardships, hard times, right? You, you don't know what's going on, but you should know. And if we would spend time, more time dialoguing with one another as we saw Paul go on all night there and that dialogue going back and forth here in this chapter, if we would spend more time in that type of fellowship with one another, caring for one another, we could know what's going on in each other's hearts and we could love one another. Again, they knew they may never see Paul again. Time is short. Life is short. The day is coming when every knee will bow, yours included, mine included. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. These people were being persecuted for saying that, for saying that there is another king, one Jesus the King of Kings. Is he your King today? Is he your Lord today? Have you surrendered your life to him today? And if you are someone out there that is preaching the Bible, you're teaching the Bible, you're a pastor, you're an elder, are you living like what is described here in the Bible? Are you living in this way? So we will go ahead and close in prayer. God bless you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening, whichever the case may be. 
And I pray that you will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of the true gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good day, for your love and your grace and your mercy, that you extend it toward us in Jesus Christ, that whosoever will believe on him, that is, whosoever will put their faith in him, whosoever will repent and come unto Jesus and be born again, will not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this good day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and we will see you next time.